0: Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, we read, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. An article in New Yorker magazine on the family lives of some America's most famous 20th century authors documents how few healthy homes existed. The great novelist Saul Bellow was the classic example. He split with his wife very early in his son's life. Greg Bellow was just eight years old when his father broke the news that he and his wife were splitting. They were sitting on a park bench in New York Central Park when Father Saul told his son Greg that he and his mom were getting a divorce. Now an adult, Greg Bellow, he writes in his memoirs about that moment. Obviously, it pained him severely. He writes this, I responded by making a snowball and letting fly at a nearby pigeon. What I really wished for was the courage to hit my father with the snowball. Under the childhood anger my father expected and hoped to see was sadness born of losing the parent who understood me best. At eight, I felt like a deep-sea diver cut off from my air supply. The author of this article describes Greg Bellow's writing as more like a speaking wound. He characterizes his book as pain bubbling up every few pages. The son's resentment still runs deep. The author wrote, at 69, Bellow is still the drowning deep-sea diver. As in Kelly Clarkson's song, the one that Jill just sang, the influence of of a father lasts long, long after he no longer plays a practical or economic role in his child's life. Wounds linger, hurts fester, memories nag. Her lyrics are haunting. All I saw was your back walking towards the airport, leaving us all in your past. Begged you to want me, but you didn't want to. Kelly Clarkson, she wrote her song about the failures of her dad. And the husband who's now showing her and her daughter what a dad truly can and should be. The chorus of the song breathes hope. He restored my faith that a man can be kind and a father can stay. It's sad, but today 25 million American children live in a home like Kelly Clarkson grew up in. A home without their biological father. That's one out of every three kids in America. In 2013, 40% of American babies were born to single mothers. That's a staggering statistic, up from 11% in 1960. If you have a dad who was a good dad and a caring dad who worked at it and stayed married to your mom, even with his mistakes, he gave you a valuable gift. Not everyone is as fortunate. Some dads create painful memories. And tragically, their unwitting kids grow up to repeat their dad's mistakes. They become parents who end up repeating the abuse or the neglect. Thoughtful parents like Kelly Clarkson make it their goal not to do to their kids what was done to them, But one thing is certain, a father, for better or worse, casts an enormous shadow on the destiny of his child. You know, it's no secret that men today, men in our culture, are in trouble. While women are graduating from colleges at record number, men are dropping out, or just not bothering. Rather than get a job, find a wife, have kids, raise a family... Young men are postponing those commitments. They lack the will to take the bull by the horns and carve out a life for themselves. Today, there are men adrift. In fact, it's confusing to be a man these days. Some fellows follow the machismo and the swag of the gang life. They want to be tough, and they think that means pushing folks around and using women for their own sexual gratification. Other men have bought into the feminist notion that society prefers that they act like girls. Get in touch with your emotions. Explore your feminine side. They've opted for soft. Still other men just sit there and refuse to tackle a challenge or take a risk. They think life owes them. They assume that the adult world also passes out participation trophies, and their prize is coming soon. Where are today's role models for young men? Many a young man has never been taught or shown how to be a real man. Recently, I was attracted to a blog I saw that purported the 50 manliest men ever. I thought, wow, I wonder who's on that list. Well, the top three entries sort of sum it up. In third place was Babe Ruth. Here's the explanation why. Every day for Babe was eat, drink, sex, eat, play game, eat, drink. Despite his less-than-athletic training regimen, he held baseball records until just a few years ago. He even had a candy bar named after him. In second place was a hockey player, Chris Nealon. Here's the justification for Chris. He holds the highest average per game for penalty minutes, 442 he once accumulated 42 penalty minutes in one game. He was nicknamed Knuckles. Even hockey players feared him. He wasn't very good, but everyone was scared to cut him. And the number one manly man on this list, Al Bundy. <laughs> Al Bundy, believe it or not. Yet we're told sarcasm, putting a hand in one's pants, being lazy, cursing, nagging your wife, watching sports, smelling bad, and complaining about everything, if Al didn't invent it he made it cool and taught us how to do it too. This summarizes today's concepts of manliness. A manly man is either a guy who achieves greatness and fame without working for it or he's the guy who uses violence to get his way Or he's the guy who has this sorry, selfish attitude toward his work, wife, family, life in general, but somehow is able to make rude look cool. You see, these are today's role models for men. Rather than grab life by the throat and do what it takes to make something of yourself, men today expect fame and fortune without having to work for it. They get frustrated when doors don't open up for them, so they resort to violence and try to kick in those doors. And they run from responsibility. And they live behind a fence of sarcasm to cover up their own failures. It's incredible, really. Research shows 18 to 34-year-old men now spend more time playing video games than 12 to 17-year-old boys. In today's world, it's really, really difficult to tell the men from the boys. But there's a big difference, and it has little to do with age. Boys play house. Men build homes. Boys shack up. Men get married. Boys make babies. Men raise children. A boy won't raise his own children A man will raise someone else's. Boys invent excuses for failure. Men make strategies for success. Boys look for somebody to take care of them. Men look for someone to take care of. Boys seek popularity. Men earn respect. Someone once said of a young male, He's got all the equipment of manhood, save the parts that matter. If you're a male, don't let that be said of you. Be a man. And if you're a lady, know what a real man looks like. Just because a person speaks in a low voice and has a few muscles on his frame and grows hair on his chest doesn't make him a man. There is more to manliness. What does it really mean to be a man? Our coaches, our drill sergeants, our friends, our uncles, maybe even our Father, screamed in our ear, be a man. Do you know what it means to be a man? Do we even know what that means? This morning, I want to answer two questions for you. First, what does it mean to be a real man? And then second, how do you tell the difference between a boy and a man? This past week, I was... Cruising the internet, and I ran across a website, "The Art of Manliness." It had a list on it: a hundred skills every man should be able to do. Well, I whittled the hundred down to thirty-three. As I go through this list, I want you guys to figure out how many of these that you that you've mastered. Here's what every man should be able to do: tie a necktie, build a campfire, shine your shoes. Make a toast at a wedding. Know how to dance. Now, right there, some of you guys are challenged. <laughs> haggle on a price. Every man should be able to haggle. Paddle a canoe. Parallel park. Fix a leaky faucet. Grill over charcoal. Now, there's a manly act. Tell a joke. Unclog a toilet. Throw a spiral. Change a flat tire. Give a hearty handshake. Shoot a gun. Identify poison ivy. That's what you need if you're a man. Cast a fishing line. Dive head first. Split firewood. Drive a stick shift. Do a proper push-up. Operate a chainsaw. Whistle with your fingers. Make a logical argument, drive in the snow, break a rack of pool balls, jump start a car, read a book, ride a motorcycle, fillet a fish, hammer a nail without bending it, and last, tell a good story. You know, it's interesting, God also identifies what it means to be a real man. But he doesn't give us a list of a hundred skills that a man should be able to do, or even 33. God only lists two. In Ezekiel 22, verse 30, God declares, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Here God identifies what it means to be a real man by listing the two tasks that a man should excel at doing. A man should make a wall and stand in the gap. And this is what a good dad does. It's no surprise that what makes a real man makes a great father. A manly dad will build walls around his family and he'll stand in the gap for his wife and kids, and church. Now realize, in chapter 22 of Ezekiel, the prophet is writing of a terrible time in Israel's history that resulted in God's judgment. In fact, verse 29 reveals the dire conditions. It says, The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. It was a day of chaos and cruelty. Personal liberties were being denied. Law-abiding, hard-working citizens were being preyed on, oppressed, and robbed. Rather than extend a helping hand, society was turning on each other, and especially the most vulnerable among them, the poor and the needy and the strangers, the undocumented workers of the day. And God's solution to the problem was a man. Not a committee, not a study group, not funding for more education or a movement or a revolution or a new program or new laws or a new political party. God knew the real answer was a man or men who would take responsibility, who would build walls around the people around them and stand in the gap for others. God sought for such a man. As he said, that I should not destroy. And here's what I believe. If we're to arrest and stave off God's coming judgment on our nation, we also need men who will rise up and be men. Tragically, God sought for a man in Israel, but it says, I found no one. I pray God finds a few men here today. Boys talk. Men do. Boys find reasons they can't. Men find ways they can Boys do what's easy. Men do what's right. Boys blame. Men take responsibility. Boys avoid pain. Men endure pain for a higher good. Boys bellyache because the world is unfair. Men work for justice. Boys look for data to prove they're right. Men seek wisdom in case they're wrong. Boys need more time to get ready. Men need more challenges to overcome. Boys hide fears. Men deal with their fears. Boys blame others for where they are in life. Men own where they are in life. Boys nurture insecurities. Men overcome their insecurities. Boys are scared to fail. Men push through their failures. Notice first, God says that men make or they build. You see, building has defined masculinity from the first man, Adam, onward. After God created Adam from the dust of the ground, he placed him back in the garden to work that same dirt. God appointed Adam to be the caretaker of Eden. God told the man to take dominion over the creation that he had made. It was Adam's job to oversee and to build up. You see, God is a builder himself. In just six days, God created the universe and all its contents, and part of God's image in men is our tendency to build and to oversee. Even at early ages, males have this innate desire to build. When my kids were young, my daughter, she played with her Barbie, while my three sons, Played with Lincoln Logs and building blocks. If I had a quarter for every time I stepped on a Lego, I'd be a rich man. When we went to the beach, my boys built sandcastles. At the camp out, they built the fire. In my old backyard, we had a couple of sheds, four tree huts, and an underground tunnel. I brought home every spare scrap of wood I could find, and my boys built stuff. And hopefully, men don't outgrow this desire to build. Men like to take dominion. They want to take charge over what they possess and build it up. This is why men tinker on cars and build their engines. This is why men build skyscrapers and bridges and roads to remote locations and even send probes to Mars. This is how invention happens and our quality of life improves. Men in particular are wired by God to take dominion over their environment and rule their world. Why do you think men like land? My house sits on three acres. And if you visit me, we'll walk my land. And I'll describe for you all my plans. I'll point to where the swimming pool could go. And where I'm going to cut out a baseball diamond for my grandsons. In reality, I might not do any of it. But my thoughts are always on what I can build. <laughs> men have this innate desire to build. And above all, men build walls, community structures like marriages and families and churches and businesses and ministries and teams. They provide people around them with boundaries and opportunities and accountability. This allows the people they influence to grow and prosper. A real man is busy making his world a better place. As a matter of fact, if a man isn't building into his life, he becomes bored and idle and even dangerous. If he's not being constructive, he'll become destructive. If a man doesn't love Jesus and people, he'll end up cultivating evil desires and selfish, sinful tendencies. True manliness is about fabricating the right stuff. When men marry, they start to cultivate and build up their wives. Hopefully they love off her rough edges. They love her until she becomes more lovable. They instill trust. When a man has a child, this ramps up his responsibilities even further. He's called on now to teach discipline and wisdom and impart courage and respect, all the while making life fun. When men build a business, their goal is to make an honest profit and serve their community by providing jobs. When men form a team, they provide younger men opportunities to grow and experiment with their skills. When men participate in church... They enlist in its mission and they create environments where people can know God and love God. I mean, how important is that? But building isn't easy. It never is. It certainly wasn't for Adam. You remember after Adam's sin, he immediately ran into obstacles and opposition. Work at first was no sweat, but it soon became hard labor. After Adam's sin, he now had to deal with thorns. And thistles, he labored by the sweat of his brow. Understand, after Adam sinned against God, everything under man's dominion started to buck and kick against his will. It was much tougher now for him to build and to cultivate. This was also true of Nehemiah, the Bible's great wall builder. In the years following Ezekiel, when God got ready to bring his people back from Babel to the land that he had promised them, Nehemiah led the construction. He had a burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he too faced thorns and obstacles and opposition. His enemies tried to thwart his building. Your thorns and thistles might be a client who doesn't pay on time, or rising costs, or an angry boss, or friction at home, or nagging neighbors. It's making what you want to build more difficult and more painful. You're trying to cultivate a marriage, but there's thorns and thistles even in marriage. Misunderstandings, angry words, past mistakes, ex-spouses, financial problems. It's not easy to build love and harmony in your marriage. Rebellion in a teenager or stubbornness in a toddler can be the thorns and thistles that's interfering with the family you're trying to build. Here's my point. After sin entered the world, all building became problematic. It is a fallen world now. Everything in this life has become a fixer-upper. And here's what separates the men from the boys. A man understands there are no free passes. That building isn't easy. That every man's effort will be thwarted at times. He has to fight through the thorns and the thistles. He gets stuck and he can't quit. Cultivation takes tenacity and perseverance. It's true in a job and in a business and in a marriage and in a family and in a church. You see, boys opt for shortcuts. A boy wants a wife and a job and a house and kids that aren't a lot of work. Hey, you might as well believe in Santa Claus. He doesn't exist either. Here's what a boy says, I want money, just not a regular job. I want to own a business, but without all those long hours it requires. I want sex, but not the commitment of a marriage and a family. Oh, I want a cool church. I just don't want to have to give anything or serve or even show up at times. Hey, let me say a word to the unmarried women here today. A gal cheapens herself by shacking up or hooking up with a guy who doesn't love her enough to take on the responsibility of marriage. I'm sure you've heard the old adage, he's getting the milk without buying the cow. Ladies, don't you become some boy's shortcut. I don't care what age is on his driver's license, when a woman gives her heart to a boy who's not a man, she inevitably gets hurt by his immaturity and his selfishness. And ladies, marrying a boy doesn't make him a man. Trust me, you don't want to wake up one day, a month, even a couple of years into it, after the wedding and realize you married a pretend man. A male who's still a boy. Hey, honeymoons are fun. Boys love honeymoons. But it takes a man to stick with it after the honeymoon is over and the marriage becomes hard work. You see, real men build walls, that is, structures and standards that protect the people under their care. They provide the people they love with boundaries, opportunities, accountability. And this is what a dad does for his kids. I've heard it said, kids are like stomachs. They don't need everything we can afford to give them. Children don't need to be overindulged. They need to learn self-discipline, how to defer a desire, how to turn from temptation, how to put principle above our own convenience. And one thing is for certain, a child won't develop the strength of character to say no to sin himself if his parents lack the courage to say no to him. You see, men are into building walls that keep out danger and that elevate the perspective of the people around them. Men like lifting folks up to the top of the wall, but men also are willing to get down in the trenches and stand in the gap. Boys seek permission. Men give permission. Boys repress. Men express. Boys are intimidated by other people's success. Men are inspired by the successes of others. Boys seek validation. Men give validation. Boys look for who's responsible for the problem. Men look for how they can be responsible for the solution. Boys put other people down. Men lift other people up. Boys are controlled by emotions. Men are driven by goals. Boys spend time finding a girl to sleep with. Men spend time finding a girl worth waking up to. And a real man stands in the gap. He's not aloof. He's not distanced. He's not this stranger passing in the night. He is engaged with his wife and his children. A man lives a connected life. He's plugged into people and he is plugged into God. A man is willing to sacrifice for and fight for and pray for those under his care. Man was made in God's image and represents God to others. Like a Jewish priest, he serves as the go-between in his family's relationship with God. He stands for God with his family and for his family with God. A man stands in the gap in a lot of varied ways. You see, every day a father's job is to undertake another person's cause. He feels for the trials and struggles his kids face. He seeks to bring his wife hope and help and healing. A father stands up for his family. He offers them moral support and practical help, protection and direction, provision and supervision. Supervision. And he labors for them in a million, often unseen ways. Most importantly, a good and godly dad stands up for his family, even while he's on his knees. I'll never forget an incident that happened at the ballpark years ago when my youngest son, Mac, was just a toddler. I was coaching my older son's baseball team at the time, while little Mac was down by the outfield fence throwing rocks. Well, he accidentally hit a lady who was strolling in the park. She wasn't hurt. And at the time, Matt couldn't throw with enough philosophy to break a window pane, let alone hurt somebody. But this lady was angry, and she wouldn't let bygones be bygones. Her husband was a foreigner, somewhere from the Middle East part of the world. He was apparently from a part of the world where conflicts are settled with sword fights and kids are beaten in the town square because that's really what he wanted me to do to my son. He wanted some public chastisement. Well, I apologized I was very calm. I apologized to him for what Mac had done. I told the guy that I would correct my son when it was appropriate. But I wasn't good enough for the guy. You know, he wanted to take matters into his own hands. And that's when I had to bristle up. I physically had to step between my toddler and Osama. I thought for a moment there was going to be an altercation. He might have had a sword, but I had a baseball bat. And I stood my ground. Well, finally he backed off and he walked away. But the incident gave me a new appreciation for the phrase, standing in the gap. This is what every good father is willing to do for his kids. He'll stand in the gap for his kids even when life threatens his own safety. Every day a dad stands between his kids and a hostile world. He resists the evil moral and spiritual influences that are attacking his children. Threats that are far more dangerous than broken bats. And when his kids fail, dad deals with the mistakes that they've made. He bears their burden to the degree he can. He teaches them from the fallout. And instead of condemning them and being embarrassed by them, and hanging his pride on their performance, a dad just wants to see his kids forgiven and restored. Don't misunderstand, a good dad sets the bar high for his kids, and he follows through on his expectations, but in the end, he loves his kids no matter what they do. And a real man stands in the gap for his wife. Rather than put her down, rather than condemn her or drudge up her past mistakes, He's always pointing her to Jesus by his patience and his forgiveness and his compassion. Men, I hope you're not one of the boys who always complains about his wife and says he doesn't love her anymore. Give me a break. How many years has she lived with you? Five years? Ten years? Surely long enough for you to invest in her life and make her more lovable. What have you been doing to help your wife? Understand what it meant for Jesus to stand in the gap for us. On the cross, he took our sins on his shoulders. He bore our burden. He dealt with it all himself. He took responsibility for stuff that was not his fault. And this is what Jesus expects for men to do for their families. A real man covers his wife and his kids. He deals with their issues in their stead, for their sake. As I mentioned earlier, a man is like a priest. The Latin word priest, it means a bridge builder. And this is why a man stands in the gap. He becomes a bridge to others. A husband and a father is a bridge from what is to what can be. He is a bridge from the past to the future. He is a bridge from pain to prosperity. He is a bridge from hurt to healing. He is a bridge from embarrassment to honor. He is a bridge from a former life to a new life in Christ. Whatever it is that has the potential of drowning his family, a real man is willing to step in and be a bridge. Men, your wife bears scars and hurts from past relationships. They are not your fault, but they are now your responsibility. You are God's healing agent to your wife. You can love her and cherish her and forgive her and remind her of who she is in Christ. You're the bridge that can bring her from guilt into acceptance. Your adult kids have made mistakes on their own. They're not your fault, but they are still, to some degree, your responsibility. Sometimes you have to let the consequences play out. But a dad remains the bridge that can help a truly repentant child cross back over. When I cast blame, I leave people buried. But when I look for solutions and try to help, I become a bridge. And this defines a man. He bridges that gap. Rather than just wash his hands of the situation, a real man is willing to get down and dirty with other people's problems. A lot happens in life that a man can blame on a wife or a child or the dog for that matter. But a true man doesn't bellyache or cast blame. A manly man takes responsibility to pay her debt, to forgive their sin, to fix that break. If a man runs a business, he'll have employees that will make mistakes. On his job, his co-workers will let him down. Problems will arise that that man didn't cause. On the team, in the hood, at the church, a real man doesn't look to cast blame. He looks to solve problems. He takes responsibility for stuff that is not his fault. Perhaps most importantly, a real man knows that he is an example, and he treats that reality seriously. You know, the Jewish priest was the people's closest link to God. Their knowledge of God's wisdom and love and mercy and truth were derived from their contact with the priest. The priest had a tremendous influence, for better or worse. Because of him, the nation ended up loving God or avoiding God. And this priestly power is the same sort of sway that a father has over the lives of his kids. A dad informs a child's impressions of God. If you've ever been to San Antonio, Texas, a must-stop is the Alamo. I'll never forget my first visit. I'd always wanted to see where John Wayne held off Santa Ana's army. Well, Near the entrance to the Alamo, there is a portrait of one of its brave heroes, under which is this inscription, James Butler Bonham, no portrait of him exists. This is a portrait of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. And understand, no portrait of our hero exists either. Jesus died for our freedom, yet God has ordained for our kids to know Jesus by looking to their dad. Reminds me of the Sunday school class where the teacher was asked to draw a picture, asked all the kids to draw a picture of God. One child, he portrayed God as a brightly colored rainbow. Another child drew him as an old man coming down out of the clouds. Still another little boy drew God with a strong resemblance to Superman. But the best sketch came from a little girl who said, I don't know what God looks like, so I just drew a picture of my daddy. This is why I say, a father's role are big shoes to fill. For better or worse, a child learns about God by looking at the character of their dad. What does it mean to be a man? There's so many erroneous ideas today including a lot of macho versions of manhood and manliness. If you don't hunt or practice mixed martial arts or enjoy sports that doesn't make you any less of a man. If you want to know what it means to be a real man God hits the nail on the head. It's building walls and it's standing in the gap. These are the two activities that are not For the faint of heart, these are the two activities that require a manly effort. I think we'd all agree it's a lot easier just to sit on the sidelines than it is to build a wall or to stand in the gap. Often on the wall and in the gap, you feel as if you're being shot at from both sides. The world is attacking from without while your kids are resisting from within. But a father belongs on the wall. He belongs in the gap. He wants to be involved right there where his kids rub up against their world, where they're being shaped for better or worse. That's where the father wants to be. That's where the action is. This is why real men don't vacate. They take dominion. They do whatever it takes to make their world a better place by building walls and being a bridge. A real man dares to make a difference. He's willing to shake up the status quo, even among the people he loves. He's not content with just being a spectator in life. He wants to be a player. He's willing to mix it up in the lives of his family and friends. A real man loves and follows Jesus, so his kids will too. When his daughter starts to date, he doesn't just watch it all unfold from a distance. He gets involved in the process. He feels his wife's hurts. And he commits to helping her. His friends are headed to hell. And so he shares within the gospel like he really believes it. He doesn't just come to church to be a taker. He comes to contribute and be a part. And he's not just seeking success for himself, but he hopes to share the fruits of his success with others. A real man will take a risk or he'll stay the course. He'll do whatever it takes to elevate the quality of life for the people around him. This is what it means to be a real man. Boys tear down walls. Men build up walls. Boys run for the hills. Men stand in the gap. Don't be a boy, be a man.